Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's June 2nd, 2017. You're listening to the best poker cast on the internet. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. It's the most wonderful time of the year. The World Series is going. It's running. Say, I'm not a big Christmas guy, so, you know, whatever. That's fine. The World Series will more excited about that than I ever am. Well, it goes until July, so you can say it's Christmas in July. Uh, that's true. Right? Right? Yeah. This is the best time of year, buddy. It's when we have but stuff no, to yeah, talk no, about. Good I things are going. Right. I think most people listening to the show, that would be the most wonderful time in the year. So, very good. Very yeah. Good. Plus, it's going to be summer. It's going to be warm. People are happy. They're out of school. I'm telling you, it's the best time of year. Uh, yeah, and it's it's hot and sticky in Florida, so. <laughs> yeah, but it's always hot and sticky in Florida. And in Vegas, it's 117 degrees outside and 36 degrees inside. So. Yes. Wonderful, yeah. It's a dry heat. Right. As uh, Chris said, the World Series poker kicked off this week, and one of the biggest headlines was Daniel Negreanu making an even-money bet with Ben Lamb that he will win three bracelets this year. Only five players have ever done that, none since 2009. Uh, so is Danny Boy going to do this, Chris? Uh, I like Daniel. I don't like his bet, but I like Daniel. I, I, it's just not going to happen. I mean, I, I would love for him to do it, but it's just crazy. I mean, he hasn't won a bracelet in a long time. Never mind three, and people just don't win three bracelets. It happens once every, you know. I mean, 2009 was eight years ago, and it, it was just a incredibly rare feat. I, is it, that's even money is a good bet, but it's at for oh, me, for Ben Lamb, yeah. But for Daniel, it's like, wow, you know. I would I would ask for like way more odds than that. Well, I'll say this: uh, Daniel's never uh, lacking in confidence, and uh, I don't say that as a dig. I, I say that as a compliment. Right. <laughs> so right. Um, he's obviously a very gifted player, and. Um, so part of me wonders whether this is just having fun because pros like to have these bets, right? Um, or the other part of me wants to believe that he actually is feeling really good about this series. And, you know, we saw uh, Jason Mercier last year get two and get so close to a third, like mm-hmm. 17 times, right? Yeah. So it's possible, and um, I, I think we've always talked about on the show that every year there's some guy that just has an incredible run, right? You're like everything is, uh, is firing on the right cylinders, and um, I would think that somebody with Daniel's experience um, knows himself well enough to know whether he's in that zone yet or not, right? So part of me wants to believe that he feels like he's in that zone and feels pretty confident and you know, there's 60-some events, right? And, you know, if you're planning on playing all of them and you're a player of Daniel's um, ability, uh, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. I think it's a 
a pretty crazy bet, but it's not out of the realm of possibilities, so I'm going to root for him. Oh yeah, sure. I mean, that's a it's an I always like to see outstanding success in in whatever field it is. I mean, you always root for that. You, you kind of that's why they make movies about goodwill hunting and things like that. You want to see these types of people doing these great things because you understand how amazing it is and how hard it is so you you appreciate something like that so i mean i can't remember how many daniels won he's won like five six bracelets i think it's somewhere in that realm i mean he's looking to literally win 50 percent of the amount he's won his entire life in one summer and that's it's a tough feat i i don't yeah fault him for that and the other thing too is no matter how confident how great you think you're playing you know there are other people you know that's the thing that there's a there's a factor in here that you might be playing well. I'm not saying this is what he's feeling or like you mentioned. I'm just right. throwing stuff out there to talk about. I mean, no matter how well you're playing, and I know these guys, obviously, when they win two bracelets, it always happens every year. Somebody wins two a year. It's because they are playing at a level that, you know, they're just confident or people are now fearing them or whatever the reasons are, their con- contributions to it. It's In this case, you can go into the World Series saying, I'm playing the best poker of my life, blah, 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 but you're going up against a few hundred thousand strangers that you have no idea what they're going to do no matter how well you're playing these guys could be dorks they could be donks they could be brilliant you know and it's just to me to have that feeling and then to make that bet based on your feeling if that was the case that'd be a tough thing to swallow for me i I just couldn't think that just because i feel great about how it's one thing to be like um a game where you know you're hitting the ball well or you're throwing the ball well or something like that but when you have other people who are you know, beating up on you with uh, their horrible play, you know, it's hard to have that kind of confidence. I mean, you know what I'm saying. I'm not, I'm not, yeah, I, yeah. obviously, you can go into this thing confidently, but I, I would side with Ben Lamb on this and with even money. What a bet that is for him. I mean, I, I didn't read it all. Did they say how much it was? Uh, no, I don't believe that was. Too yeah, hard. I didn't think it was either. Okay, so yeah, I, I, no matter what the amount, I mean, that's, that's a real good bet for him. I'm not saying that if Daniel called me today and said, hey, make the bet, I'd, I'd bet him, <laughs> but, um, Wow, that's yeah, tough. Yeah, well, he's not booking any more action. He already said that he got all the action he's going to take on it. So I think he understands the uh, the risk he's taking. <clears throat> yeah. A couple other things I'll say, though, is, you know, there's nothing wrong with goal setting. Goal setting actually helps you achieve goals. You know, when you have no goal, you just go out and have fun, then you might achieve something, but you're probably less likely to achieve something, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, even – and I would go back to the uh, the race for the hundy here, right? Uh-huh. You know? Uh, Mike Mike didn't think that he really was ever going to win that bet with you, right? But he said, "Hey, it's a hundred bucks. That's going to force me to get out there and run for a month or two, or however months you guys train for it, right?" Yeah. And so, so to him, that was a good investment. You know, if you lost, and hey, it's a hundred bucks, but he and he's healthier. And if you won, it's healthy. He's healthier and one hundred bucks, right? Yeah. So there's no downside there, and I think that might be the case with Daniel. There's no downside here. You know, depending what the bet is, if he feels comfortable with the amount with it, that it's going to help him motivate himself to to play better. And if he comes up short, then he loses it. But he played better. Yeah, maybe he's comfortable with that. So, and the other thing I would say too is that, you know, let's assume that he gets two bracelets. Uh, now the whole world could be knowing that he needs one more to win this bet, right? Yeah. And now I think players start gunning for him a little bit more to make sure he doesn't get it, right? And when players start gunning for you is when you really start playing better, I think. Um, because when players are gunning for you, they start to make more mistakes. You know, they're not focused on beating you. They, they're more aggressive at beating you. And I think that third one's going to be easier for them because of that. But 
Wow. Best of the two first, though. But yeah, I uh, and then you have to wonder too. Will Ben say, "Hey, let you know, let me buy you out for the third one if you get two bracelets." You know, let me buy you out for the, you know, big out of this bet. Yeah. And uh, but no, I I don't know. I think it's awesome. And I, look, we're already talking about it. The freaking World Series just started. <laughs> and we're already talking, you know what I mean? So it, it, I always love stuff like this. This is always the, some of the, the more fun things that emerge from the, the series and stuff. So good luck to him. I hope he does it. I Not that I want Ben Lamb to lose money. I just think, you know, it's been a long time since Dan Negron has been in the poker news for, well, this, for this winning. This is a bet that Ben can't be upset about losing, right? He's getting tremendous odds. On yes, exactly. It's not an even money uh, proposition. He's getting even money for it. So Yeah, you know. absolutely right. It's like when you, you know, your aces get cracked by kings. You know, you can't truly be upset about it because you had the best of it. So you just got unlucky. So. Oh, yeah, I can still be upset by it, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the once every two years Poker TDA Summit, uh, where tournament directors from around the world convene and discuss rules, will be June 30th to July 1st at the ARIA in Las Vegas. I'll be there. Yay. Uh, registration is free for all tournament directors, and players will be admitted on a space available basis. Uh, Lloyd Fontia? That's what I'd say. All right. Executive tournament director for the Asian Poker Tour is a new board member, and founding board members Jan Fisher, Linda Johnson, and David Lamb are no longer involved in day to day operations, but will continue to serve as honorary directors. We had this as an exclusive. Yes, right. It was one of our scoops for being a, uh, a sponsor of the summit for the yeah. second time. So it's the second time we've done it, or third? I thought it was the third time we've done it. Second? Uh, I think it's the second time. We've oh, done. okay. I, I think this is probably my third one that I'm attending. But oh, uh, okay. Oh, well, yeah. And plus, it's every other year, so I, it, you tend to forget yeah. that it's. Yeah. So okay, and it's, it goes by so fast. I just thought you did it last year. It's yeah, like, it's funny that's every two years, and it does seem like it's every year. It so. does. It always seems like that. Yeah. But uh, looking forward to it. I always enjoy it. You know, sometimes the conversations get like way down in the weeds. But you know, hey, I'm a elected official now, so I'm used to conversations being way down in the weeds like every day. So <laughs> it's gonna be fun that it's about poker and not about you know water bills and <laughs> things like that. So, uh, but no, it's good to see all these people out there. Um, and uh, and you know, I, I just wrote the pub- publisher's column for our next issue, and um, you know, the part of it is that. You know, imagine a world without the TDA. You know, I know people like to nitpick at the rules, and some don't like some, and wish the other ones would change. But the fact that we now—I mean, this was 2001 when they founded this. So we're 16 years into this, and we're finally to a point now where I don't know of too many poker rooms that I walk in that don't use poker TDA rules. So the consistency is really important when you're playing tournaments. Now everybody has house rules and stuff. That's a little frustrating. Um, sometimes rules aren't applied correctly, or evenly but we're much better off now than we were without any kind of rules other than robert's rules or uh robert's rules of poker uh <laughs> to uh to guide us look at that i i, I segued right back in the city commission so. <laughs> oh but you're right though i mean it, everyone wants to have conf- not conformity but you want all of these things to be uh standardized and uh it's it's an awesome thing, and and I'm I'm glad we're a part of it too because I feel like that's what the magazine is for. The magazine has always been to, you know, to be uh, something that like a vehicle for for touting the the good things, the positive things about poker, and of course TDA is always st- trying to make the game better, and that's what we're about too. So I love that we're a part of it. Absolutely. This would be All fun. Right, so <laughs> I can't wait for this. Week, <laughs> last week, I coined the term effective bubble, and it is trademarked and copyrighted and all that stuff. Um, if you don't believe me, good luck finding out whether <laughs> it's 
Just trust me. Um, and, uh, you know, I asked, you know, you, you weren't really sold on this term, and we were having trouble defining it. So I asked uh, our listeners to help define it, and I knew this was going to happen. Longtime listener Matt Bodorf was first to chime in with Happy to Oblige. And I think you did a pretty good job here, even if you don't agree or people don't agree with the definition. <clears throat> but the way he framed it here, it's awesome. It's like it's like uh, Merriam-Webster did this. Uh, all right. I'm going to let you read it, and then I'm going to react a little bit. All right. So he says, effective bubble, number one, noun in, in italics. You know, like <laughs> Yeah, like they're doing the thing, yeah. Pretty cool. Uh, two, uh, the point in the tournament uh, at which there are only slightly more players remaining than there are finishing positions that receive a prize. Three, additional information. The precise number that constitutes the effective bubble is as follows. In a standard tournament payout where 12% of the field is paid, the effective bubble is offered to those who finish between 13 and 17%. This additional 5% buffer zone is known as the effective bubble. Number four, example. The clock wasn't updated, so I'm not exactly sure when I went out, but it was a huge field. I was effectively the bubble. Five, <laughs> example two. Check out my Hindenbaum results. I have more effective bubbles than anyone else in the country. <laughs> Six, <laughs> applies to online and land-based venues. Seven, related terms, bust, uh, ITM, chop, ICM. Related terms. <laughs> Oh man, that was great. You know, and it, 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 it still even now, the effective bubble. It's it's like I don't understand. Like, so it has to be a giant field, right? Or you have to have some sort of ignorance involved in this, right? To know. Oh, I guess you. I guess you I could still know. Here, but I just went ahead and calculated that the effective bubble based on this new rule would have been a hundred and third in my tournament. Okay. And I went out in the 80s or 90s, so booyah. So you were definitely in the bubble, affect the bubble. <laughs> uh, but no, what you're saying, no, I think it affects, uh, I mean, his definition doesn't say large, does it, anywhere? Uh, somewhere in there, oh, I think it was the um, the huge field example, that's what made me think of it. Okay. Ah, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, okay, so it doesn't matter how big the field is. No, I think there's an effective bubble, so, so think about this. All right, because uh, we get the Antioch World Championship coming up, which we're going to talk about here next, and the Head Up ch- Heads Up Championship, which I made to the Sweet 16 last year, by the way. Yeah. Hashtag brag. Um, but when I got knocked out, I was effectively a bubble because there was only <laughs> two people, right? <laughs> Although I guess that's an actual bubble, right? So, yeah, the actual. And that's the other thing, too, is how does the effective bubble affect the actual bubble? Yeah, I think you just get an extra star in your participation ribbon. Okay. That's what I would say. So when you are the bubble by yourself, all by yourself, you're, you've got the power of all the effective bubble people behind you. I would disagree with number one, too. I don't see how it's a noun. It's two words. It's sort of an adjective slash noun because the effective is a, an adjective for the bubble. So you get to put a hyphen in there then, like effective bubble or something. Make it one word. Well, I'm going to call this the effective definition of the effective bubble. <laughs> oh, man, you're killing me. <laughs> oh, man, well, we appreciate it. We know we could always count on you for a little uh, uh, humor. and uh, Actually, not always humor. That's a, that's a good way. He, he worked it in the math there. I think that's good. I mean, it was pretty sound for... For, it's not, I mean, it's fun because we're having fun with this ridiculous term you've made up. But, I mean, he's actually really sound in what he wrote. And it, it actually would be, like, legitimate in a poker dictionary. Yes. So, very good. Hats off, buddy. <laughs> 
Okay, any updates? The schedule for the 2017 Annie Up World Championship at Thunder Valley Casino Resort near Sacramento, California, July 20th to August 6th has been announced. The 18-event series features more than $1 million in guarantees, including a 500 k guarantee main event. Three other multi-day events and heads-up championship... Uh, Oh, geez, I'm sorry. <laughs> I thought it ended at main event. Yep. So, yeah, so including a 500K guarantee main event and three other multi-day events and a heads-up championship, as Scott mentioned. For more details on this and all Annie at Poker Tour events, visit com. Are you going out there? Oh, yeah, absolutely. When- I don't get out there for the whole series this year, but I will be out there. Yeah, I think I get out there like July 27th, so I'll miss the first week, but I'll be out there for the whole second week. And, um Definitely playing the heads up uh, championship again. See if I can do better than the Sweet 16. I don't know if you heard, but I made the Sweet 16 last year. Hashtag Brett. Um, I think I'm also going to play one of the multi day events, which I don't normally get to do. I think uh, they have like a Action 8, I think that's called. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yep. Eight handed. Yep, very so. good. Okay, also, Annie Up Partner Advanced Poker Training will be hosting an all day strategy seminar July 1st at the Rio, home of the World Series of Poker. Presenters include current world champion Kui Tommy Gunwin. Former Annie Up columnist Jonathan Little and former world champ Scotty Wynn. Register at advancedpokertraining.com. That's advancedpokertraining.com. Each week we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcast at annieupmagazine.com. And if they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like we do with Call the Floor and Hand of the Week, we give them something cool. This is interesting. We just say that that they email us, we use it, and then this comes from Tyrone Keel, who posted a comment with uh, within the Annie Up Question of the Day message forum. He did not email us, but we're still representing it. He says, do you like to squeeze in that last hand before breaks, or are you content to let the clock tick over? Until recently, I liked playing the last hand, as most people tend to lose focus and make mistakes around this time, but I've been burned the last few times. One hand in particular was in a major tournament of a state league. One minute to go, and a player leaves a table, but silly me opens my mouth and comments that we have enough time for one more hand. The player returns to the table and proceeds to have my stack on that hand. <laughs> well, here's what I'll say, and I know you'll have plenty to say on this because you play more tournaments than I do. One, I don't play tournaments, so I don't really care about the last hand anymore. But the last time I did care about it was the 2007 World Series of Poker when I did play the last hand before the break. Had pocket jacks. The guy had pocket fives. He went all in. I called. He flopped a five. I lost more than half my stack before the dinner break. After playing for nine and a half hours, I might have cashed had that hand not happened. So... Yeah, I'm not too excited about playing the last hand before a break anymore. How's that? Gotcha. All right, how about you? Uh, no, I I, I I don't really understand the people that don't like to play every hand. I don't understand the people that like to show up an hour late. Uh, I don't like. I don't understand the people that get up with a minute left on the clock. Um, I mean, I, there's reasons for all that. I mean, especially if you have to go to the bathroom really quick and there's only one urinal. <laughs> <laughs> right, but, right. Um, but I, I think you're giving up value by not looking at every hand and taking advantage of every possibility you have in the tournament. And every possibility is every hand that you can get in the pot, in the tournament. So I want to play that last hand. Um, obviously, I think uh, Tyrone here is being result-oriented. I think there's probably plenty of times that you'll play that last hand, and it's a, a hand that you'll never remember the rest of your life, right? It's, you know, right, so when it stands out, there. yeah. For that kind of stuff, um, and certainly there are plenty of last hands that you win um, a pot on. So I wouldn't change my philosophy based on this this unfortunate incident that happened here. But uh, I do agree with him, though. The reason, one of the reasons, really, to play it is that people do want to get up and leave, and they want to go on break. So um, there are a couple of things. One, I, I think you have 
fewer hurdles in your way of winning that last pot because there are a lot of people that have already checked out whether they've got up and left or not, which really you shouldn't do until it's your turn, right? But they probably looked at their cards and know they're going to fold or looked at their cards and uh, aren't willing to adjust to the, what happens before them as you should, which mm-hmm. is why you should look at your cards on your turn. and not. So they've already checked out. So um, I, I'm much more likely to raise uh, light uh, on the last hand, knowing that uh, there, there's certainly two or three, if not five people yet to act that don't want to be in that hand. They want to get out and run to the bathroom or get a drink or whatever that is they want to do. Um, so I think that last hand is an opportunity to get chips no matter what your holdings are. And certainly you have a good hand, that's even better. But um, And then when you're in the hand, then, yeah, I, I do think that, that people tend to also start looking at that clock and thinking, man, I should not have played this hand. I should have went to the restroom. And so they're they're not playing optimally for that. So as long as you can focus on that, I think it's that last hand is a great chance to chip up, I think. And that's probably what the guy was thinking against me in the World Series. It was like, hey, I'm looking down to pocket fives. I'm kind of short stacked. Everyone's already left the tables, like me and him in the big blind. And he just shoves, and he thinks yeah. I'm just going to let it go and go to dinner. And I look down at pocket jacks, and I'm like, I got this guy way covered. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and that's probably what he was thinking. Was, oh, these guys just want to go to break two, and I'm in the blind. He's, I mean, you're in the blind, so let me just shove on him with pocket fives. And if he calls me, I got a pair. And and uh, just went better for him than it did for me. So, yeah. I mean... I don't know. I, I I don't really ever not take a hand seriously, but there's also, you know, the poker, the odds are on your in your favor of just leaving too because most of the time you're folding 80% of the hands you're seeing. So eight times out of ten, the hand you have before the break is going to be a folding hand anyway. So a lot of people don't even think about that. So, I mean, most of the time it's on your, on your side to just leave the hand anyway. But to me, I play every single hand because that one time you don't look at the hand, maybe it's aces. How many times are you in the chop in a cash game and you look down his pocket aces and you haven't had them all night or all week in that tournament or whatever, and then the one time you chop or whatever, you have aces. Well, so. and, and let me say, when that happens too, by all means, by all means, flip the aces up and go, oh, come oh, on. come on. Are you kidding me? Really? Is there a high hand in this house? You have to do that because all the other players are just going to love it. They're just like, oh, my gosh, that's so great. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> Makes them all feel better that they didn't go up against your aces. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been? Email us at podcast at com. We'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo Director of Poker Elliot Schechter tell you how he would have ruled. Our good friend Dave Bloomberg, who probably doesn't know what to do with himself now that uh, Survivor's over. <laughs> Let me tell you, I binged on that when I got back. I had not started before the trip, and then I binged, and I was ready to go three days before finale night, by the way. Wow. Pretty impressive. I'm that was impressed. a great season, too, by the way. I don't know if you ever It was that. a good season. I, 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 I don't know. It was a good season. It was a good season. But again, I, I hate it when people blow it. You know, I hate oh, when yeah. people blow well, it. People always blow it. And they always and blow it. It's more frustrating on a, on a season of all-stars right? right exactly that they're you get to the end you're like oh my god these are like the worst moves in the entire season and they're in the final four yeah Unbelievable. <laughs> all right so we're in a cash game player b bets now i already have a problem with this <laughs> why is it that player b is coming before player a i don't understand this part uh, maybe it's subliminal here so i'm trying to figure this out i'm gonna be listening to this carefully as i read it all right player b bets and player a raises Player B thinks A's bet has him covered, so he shoves his chips into the middle and flips his hand over. The dealer immediately realizes A still has a decision to make for 
more chips because the Rays did not have player B covered. He reacts immediately to prevent a player mistake and instantly covers the exposed hand before player A can see it. Should the dealer have done that or allow it to be exposed? After all, this is a cash game and it's heads up, so player B would be allowed to show his hand if he wanted to, but the dealer realized it was a mistake and was trying to protect player B. The question came up at the table as to whether it was the dealer's job to do that. The four was called while the dealer maintained his position covering the exposed hand uh, and the four looked at TDA rules for a guide even though it was a cash game and couldn't find one. He googled around and still couldn't find anything quickly. Eventually, player A just said call and it was taken care of and player B lost. Player B admitted it was his fault and if the four had said to uncover the cards, he would have been okay with that. But it still leaves the question of whether the dealer acted properly in covering the hand. All right, Elliot says, this type of situation remains unaddressed by Robert's rules and by the TDA. This doesn't mean that Poker Room shouldn't have a plan or procedure in place for these type of scenarios. I personally believe this dealer did the right thing. The Poker Room house rules around the world express uh, and an interest in fairness for all players in all situations. The dealers are to be reduced to merely a combination of card delivery technicians and rake extraction <laughs> engineers. In his high time, the industry converts to 100% electronic tables. Dealers are in place to make sure the game goes according to the rules, and this dealer proactively protected both players in the pot by making sure the betting round played out as normally as possible, with all bets being correct and no player getting run over. If the betting is being done incorrectly, the dealer is obligated to make sure the rules are being followed. Uh, that this that the dealer chose to cover the handle of the players catch up to the situation is better and probably more effective than just yelling at the players to stop what they are doing. Once the cards are in the players' hands, the dealer's primary responsibility to the players is to step in when things are not going right. A game that is moving rapidly in turn with all correct bets is probably never going to hear the dealer say anything other than bet or raise. A game with players acting out of turn, not acting due to uh, not paying attention, betting or raising incorrect amounts, etc., will very likely have a, a noticeably active and verbal dealer. When players complain to me that the dealer didn't tell them that it was their turn every time it was their turn, I patiently explain that it is your job as a player to pay attention to the game and the dealer's job to mostly tell you when you're betting out of turn or betting an incorrect amount. I realize that ultimately it is the players that have the responsibility to protect their hands and to pay attention to the game. Those very important concepts do not absolve the poker room from making sure that the games run smoothly and fairly. In the context of this specific situation, I appreciate what the dealer did and support that action. Uh, I'm on the yeah, fence on this. this one, couldn't we? Yeah, I'm on the fence on this. I mean, how come we have to hold people accountable for mistakes that they can't cover and protect, but we can protect them when we feel like protecting them or when we think we can get away with protecting them? I don't really know how I feel about this. Yeah. He made a mistake. That's the game. You make a mistake in the game. That's the whole point of the game is to not make mistakes. And, and the whole point of the rules is when you make a mistake, there's a rule. If there's no rule, I mean, the dealer helped that guy and not the the other guy. The other guy could have been the, the beneficiary of seeing the cards because the guy made a mistake. So you're protecting one over the other player. I don't know. I, I don't know how I feel about this. Well, you could also make an argument that, um, you know, what we talk about a lot on this show, it's definitely called the floor, is trying to win a pot on a technicality, right? So you could make the case, I'm not saying I'm making the case, but you could make the case that the player exposing his hand without paying attention and the player wanting to see it because that player made a mistake is trying to win the pot on a technicality and the dealer is trying to prevent a technical win in the pot here by, you know, springing into action and 
letting the, the player know that action hadn't finished yet and uh, to cover his cards. So that's what makes this decision so difficult. And what I like about Elliot's answer here is that I, I felt for the uh, tournament or, or that uh, floor that came over and tried to address this because I don't know how I would address this. I think I probably would have uh, skewed towards the way you are leaning towards ruling, right? Right. right. Uh, but I appreciate that he took the time to look for you know an actual answer and couldn't find one, and then made the best decision he could. And then Elliot, you know, explaining how difficult this really is and why um, he would have ruled the way he did. But I don't think Elliot's at all in here closing the book on it being ruled the opposite way. Um, I think he's just taking a difficult situation where probably if you take a vote, it's fifty-fifty on which way to go here. Yeah. And explaining why he's on his side of the 50. So, yeah, it, it goes back to rule one, which is always just do what's best in the interest of the game. And I guess they felt that his instinct was to say, hey, you know, dealers, you know, he, their instinct is to protect the game. And they, he just covered it up real quick and said, wait, 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 you know, and it's just that's your instinct. Even when you're in your own home game or something and someone's about to show their hand, you're like, wait, wait, there's another guy. I mean, you just, you just do that. Because you're protecting the third player in the game or something, but when they're heads up, it's it's really it is. I am really fifty fifty on this. I, I because I'm taking the other side back. You were saying how you know you're, you're trying to, um, but the fact that he's he's trying to to protect him at the same time. Now you're not protecting the other person. The technicality thing. It's not that I'm lobbying for the guy to win on a technicality, but it's not a technicality. It's it's a mistake. And so the other guy's like, "Hey, wait a minute! The guy, the guy turned his hand over, and you're protecting him. You're not protecting me. My interest is that, you know. But I can understand that because he shouldn't, you know. If he didn't see the cards, and he's the only one left in the hand, then hey, you didn't look fast enough too. So I mean, it's just I'm just fifty fifty on. I don't know what to say. This is why I don't want to be a dealer. Or this or, is a different kind of mistake. I think. I mean, there, there are a lot of mistakes that that I think we all agree. Hey, you should have known better. And too bad. So sad, right? This is I, I think this happens often when you you look at your chip stack and you look at everybody's chip stack and you just you, hey I've got them covered right and shove it in and you don't think about the fact that you might have them covered. I mean think about how many times you know in a tournament when two people fairly even chip stacks get it all in and you know they say, hey don't worry about it let's finish out the hand and then we'll figure out the money rather than you know wasting time on calling in all the bets right Right. And then uh, the player gets up and starts walking away, and they're like, hey, come back. I think you might have some chips. And that guy's surprised, right? Um, so I, I think it's hard in these kind of um, moments to uh, accurately assess uh, whether you've got somebody covered or not. It's I think it's common to think that you probably do, and then you don't have to sit there and wait for them to count it down to make sure you're so I find that a slightly different mistake. It's still a mistake, um, but it's a slightly different mistake than than some other things that we normally see at the poker table. Yeah, I mean, we, I think we could we could literally talk about this for hours. I think we could because you could do any situation where what if the, it was a hand where he thought he lost and he threw his hand in the muck, and they're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, and he, he stopped it from or he, he grabs it from the muck real quick and pulls it out, even though the guy folded. Right. But wait, I know you had the winning hand because I saw the winning hand. You know, I mean, it's just there's so many scenarios now that you could literally, or just go other directions with it and say there are other situations where the guy didn't know the chip, how many chips he had, and we hold him accountable and we argue with each other and say, hey, 
know, the guy didn't know how many chips he bet, so uh, it's his fault for not knowing how. And you have to let him keep those chips in the pot now because he didn't pay attention. So now in this case, the other guy didn't pay attention, but yet we're saying, well, let the dealer protect him. Well, I don't think he didn't pay attention. That's what I'm trying to say. I think he was paying attention. He just misjudged the chips day. Right, but that's still not – that's that's a form of not paying attention. You're supposed to say, hey, how many? How much is it? So, But, but it's a less egregious <clears throat> error. Than, sure, but it's okay. still an error. I, I, you know what I mean? I'm not being pedantic here. I'm just trying to say that there's so many ways to go with this. What a pain in the ass – I still don't understand why it was player B first and not player A. You know but what? I, I think I, I thought about this while you were asking that. Uh, uh, and I, you know, when I get hands of the weeks, I, I try to clean them up a little bit. Oh, okay. I, I take out some of the information that I don't think is relevant. Uh, that might be helpful, but it's not relevant, right? Because, you know, I know you don't like to read along. <laughs> it is, yeah, it's true. <laughs> um, so there probably was some action earlier in the hand that didn't really play into this decision. So player A might have been... Uh, okay. The initiator of the hand before it got to the end here with the shove, and then that's why player B was actually excellent. See, see, now we're drilling deep into the heart of it. Now we understand what's <laughs> going on. Hashtag Covfef. <laughs> hey, guess what? We got a brand new O'Malley's move. Can't wait to get to it. Here it comes. Hello, and welcome to another O'Malley's Move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. This week we are seated in a $1, $2, no limit hold'em home game. It's one of our regular games, so we're fairly comfortable with the players. There's a button straddle to $4, the small blind folds, the big blind calls, and we're under the gun with two fifty, up 50 and the ace of spades, ace of hearts. Good hand, we raise to $15. It's folded around to the big blind who makes the call. The big blind is a novice player who is loose but passive. Generally speaking, when he starts to show aggression, he's got a hand. However, he's been stepping out of his normal play lately and making moves here and there. He started the hand with 175. There's $35 in the pot, and the flop comes down the queen of diamonds, jack of hearts, four of clubs. Our opponent leads out for $20. This is a pretty safe flop, so we're going to apply some pressure. We raise his bet to $50. Our opponent quickly calls. There's 135 in the pot, and the turn is the king of hearts. Our opponent immediately shoves for his remaining 110. It's to us. What's the move? Uh, it's time for the advancedpokertraining.com hand of the week. Send your hands or situations to podcast at antietmagazine.com. If you haven't won something from us in the past year, you'll get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site. And new uh, new hand of the week submitter, Steve Kuehler. Let's go with that. Yeah, let's go with that. All right. Uh, Long time listener. Just played a hand that I thought would be interesting. Wanted to hear your thoughts. Awesome. Just against a, mani- a maniac style player. I wonder if it's Michael Sambello from Flash Camp. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, and I find these type of players very hard to read. That's what we talked about last week, right? Um, it's a hundred and forty dollar buy-in tournament, uh, home game. Wow, that's an odd buy-in and a quite large buy-in for a home game, isn't it? Wow, and thirty entries. Wow, this is a big home. Holy! Why don't you have us over for the game? Wow, talk about hands of the week all night. That's a huge buy-in. <laughs> now I'm curious how they said it all one forty because yeah, I think a home game you round it up right, it'd be one fifty, right? Yeah. Why not one fifty? 
That is a weird number. It's, this is this is truly unique. This is see, you know when you when you're telling a lie, the more details you tell, the more specific weird things in it, the more a truth it is to it. This <laughs> this is one of those things where you you know he's telling the truth because a hundred and forty dollar buy-in. How do you come up with that number unless it's yeah. so outrageous that it's it's actually true? Look at that. We just confirmed your veracity, Steve. There you go. Yep. <laughs> All right, we're at level four. The blinds are one hundred, two hundred with a twenty-five ante. We started with 10,000 units, and it's a $10 bounty tournament. So, oh, maybe that's it. Maybe it's, eh. Yeah, but it only brings it up to one from 130. So it's like, yeah, who buys yeah. it for a 130? No, it's 150, and 10 was the bounty, but it doesn't make any sense. No, no. Right. So now all kinds of weirdness going on. Right. <laughs> uh, uh, he says, I have uh, 6,825 at the start of the hand. Table consists of eight players, uh, one of which is that maniac, maniac. Um, and another player is a very loose, aggressive player. Remaining five players are fairly straightforward players. My image is that uh, is of a tight player. Both the maniac and the lag have accumulated a lot of chips and are well above the ten thousand starting stack. Um, two players limp to us, and we are in middle position with the eight of hearts, seven of hearts. Oh, um. Well, <clears throat> there's still people behind me and stuff, but I if if I'm feeling okay, I'll probably call. But the thing is, is that we're already down about three thousand chips in this tournament, and it's, I mean, it's not do or die yet. We got plenty of time. We have exactly sixty eight point two five percent of our starting. Yeah, exactly. So that fast math. It's like, uh, all right, you know, I, I don't know if I want. I think I want to start. If I mean, we had the reputation of being tight. So if we have that reputation, maybe we raise with a seven eight and be the opposite of what people think we are. Yeah. If it's truly the Im- image of hey, this guy only plays like ace king and big pairs, then maybe you want to you know step outside that for a comfort zone and and make seven eight your raising hand now, and then maybe t- even take down the two limpers. And if not, well, you can represent pretty much anything. If undercards come, you've represented the overpair and you've hit the undercards, and if vice versa, you represent what shows on the board. So. Maybe you take this moment to say, hey, I need, obviously playing as a tight, aggressive player right now is not working for me. I'm down 32.75% of my chips. <laughs> so maybe I should raise with it. But in my instance, I mean, a lot of times I I would limp along with this and hope that I get to see a flop with a lot of callers so I got the right odds to chase if I need to. And, and I like to have pseudo connectors in position, which you're in middle position, so maybe they'll fold behind. You know, They probably won't, given what you've described already in the hand, so... Uh, I, I, but I, I might consider raising this hand just because to do something different for once, and they'll put me on big cards, and then I can represent it and take down a couple of, you know, easy small pots with that, and get back to maybe even. So, I don't know. Maybe I would raise. Uh, let's. I don't think he's going to raise though, um, especially if he has a maniac behind him. That's the last thing you want. So, I'm just going to call. Okay, uh, I definitely am raising here. Yeah, I figured. Uh, I mean, that's what I'm saying. I, I think it's a good thing to do, but. Exactly. If I if I feel like I have a tight image, um, I'm gonna raise suited connectors almost all the time because that's a good hand uh, to step out of line with because it's got so much potential of actually hitting. So that gives you the opportunity to win the hand with hearts, with the uh, with the straight, or with big cards like ace or king uh, because that's what people are thinking that you have. So. Um, th- this is where I step out. I, I don't do it. I-, I love when I see these people like to step out a, a turn with nine deuce offsuit or something like that. I'm like, why? <laughs> right. You have no backup if that you know if you get called for that stuff. So now you're really just going to have to Jedi mind trick your way out of this hand. With ha- with hands like this, 
um, the board can be very forgiving for you, and you have lots of different ways to to win. So uh, that that's why I'm going to raise. Especially we've got a couple limpers in there already, so some dead money that maybe I can pick up. Um, so even the, even though I'm down, um, it, it's actually thirty one point seven five percent, right? Oh, geez, yeah, you're right. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. You're right. Thirty one. Thirty one point seven five percent. It's, it's two hundred to go, so we, we you know a quarter ante. So you know my normal way is be five hundred, uh, kind of for the. Uh, Limper, so it's nine hundred. So you know, I'm I'm hoping not to get too deep into this hand unless I really hit this hard. But uh, but this is probably my last loose raise of the tournament if I don't win this hand. Yeah. So if you make it nine, you get one call or even one caller. You're going to be almost back to even if you just take it down after the flop of the C bet. Right. So yeah. that's a pretty good bet, good raise. So <clears throat> I wanted to do that, but I just I'm going to play the other way. So you and I have something to talk about. <laughs> Well, you never know. Maybe uh, maybe Stephen will play it. Uh, That's you know, true. You know. That's true. Um, all right. He says, I would typically raise this, but I had raised several suited connectors previously, and with the loose players in the blinds, <laughs> I decided just to call this time. All right. Well, <laughs> that's a little extra information there. I don't I don't know how his image is of a type later if he's been raising suited connectors. Maybe, maybe he's not showing them down. Yeah, if he's not showing them down, then it's okay. But it's, his image can still be tight. It's just whether or not he's actually playing tight. Yeah. Okay. All right, uh, the cutoff calls, button folds, and the maniac in the small blind raises to 800. Uh, the lag in the big blind calls, and it folds around to me. All right, so what did he raise it to? I'm sorry, I'm writing it down as you're saying it. Uh, he did not raise, he called. Oh, the uh, maniac so, calls. So the maniac raised to 800. Raised 800, okay. Well, see, it's different now because you've called. Yeah. If you were going to yeah, raise to 800, that's one thing, but now calling yeah. a raise... I mean, you'll have position on the guy, and you may actually be last to act, which is good. I just don't know if you have enough people in the hand to... Uh, right, so we already called for two. So there's only 600 more to... And he's a maniac. Uh, I don't know. Uh, let's just... Kind of the problem with the maniac, though, is that he could be having similar cards that we have, right? Yeah. So now, now we're... Against them, we're not confident if we flop like eight seven tray or something. Well, eight seven tray, I'd be really confident with. Well, um, well, let's say eight tray deuce. How's that? Right. Top pair with weak kicker. Oh, uh, let's let's call. I was gonna fold, but I I just you know I I would rather be the aggressor here. You know, but at least we have position on the guy with suited connector, so. Yeah, here, this is a. It's funny. It was an easy raise for me before, and it's an easy fold for me now. Yeah. Uh, and the reason is that part of the reason I wanted to raise is because you had you've expanded the potential for the hand now because people are going to put you on big cards and you don't have big cards. You have suited connectors, so you have all kinds of different ways to win the pot by raising. By calling now, you've pretty much eliminated your ability to represent those big cards now. I think, um, or or severely lessened it so it's not as attractive now to, to make the call as it was to, to raise the other thing though is that he's already admitted that what, like all of us do that our weaknesses are playing against these type of players right yeah and so you know in a dream world of table you would not you would want to play hands where these guys are not in it so now you can play your normal game right rather than play against these players that whose style of play you struggle with now you're looking at a hand where the only two people in the hand are the two people that you have trouble playing against, right? Right. Well, of course, we had this cutoff behind us too, but um, 
why would you want to get into a pot where the only two opponents are the two people that you can't figure out? Yeah. And with a hand that you're going to need some help with now that's, that's not as exciting as it would have been had you raised and been able to represent something else. Uh, so I anyway, I think at this point, um, we're probably happy that we only lost 200 on this hand. Um, <laughs> what's probably going to happen here. Um, even though I was willing to raise a 900, it's interesting that I'm easy folding for 800 when I already have 200 in. Okay, so let me ask you. So did you say... There was a caller before the small blind made this bad uh, yeah. move? there's one more player to act after us. Okay, so there was two limpers, which was 400. There were the the, the, the small blind now who made that race, so the big blind is still in. So that's 600. The Annies were eight players, so that's another 200. So we're at 800, plus his 800 is 1,600, plus our 200 is... 1800 so we have to call so we're getting three to one on our money with eight seven hearts in position right so huh 800 so wait what'd you say uh the big blind also called so oh the big blind did call so yeah so we're getting a real uh, really good odds on, we on are. calling 600 and we're in position the rest of the hand with suited connectors and the maniac has to keep acting before us so Maybe I just call because of the odds I have on this hand. It's still a good hand. It's it's a good hand to surprise people with. I mean, I, I know what you were saying before was that you had the extra level of surprise with or representation of big cards if they came, that kind of thing because of our image. But I'm just saying maybe they don't put us on 8-7 of hearts calling a raise like this. They might put us on something like a suited ace or a pair, and who knows. But I... I Maybe I do call still. I still think I call because the odds I'm getting on my money, you don't know what the flop is, and you could hit it really hard, and this guy could just keep betting into you, and you're walking the dog. So <clears throat> let's let's. I'm going to call. I, I will never criticize anybody for making this call here. I'm just saying I'm making a point that – It's an easier fold for you. So you're, you're, saying. You're, you're really going to have to hit this flop hard now against these type of players, uh, I think, now. So you know, I think I would rather – seeing as I only have 6,800 – left now again it's the same it's very interesting that i was willing to commit 900 of that before all this happened and now i'm not willing to commit 600 more um i'm just gonna wait for another spot now and you know see how it happens plus the other benefit is you got the two crazy people in a hand together so you know i know it's early the tournament you don't really care about people getting knocked out but um you know who knows but they can go crazy and one of them gets knocked out now you only have one player at the table that you're really Mm. fresh so uh, or or you could you know, severely hurt both of them and have his deck now, and they lose their ability. So there's a lot of pros and cons to this. I'm going to call. You're going to fold. Let's move on. All right. Our hero makes the call, and the cutoff folds. Okay. Uh, Flop comes the five of hearts, nine of spades, eight of spades, and both blinds check. Okay, well, we got middle pair, gutter, backdoor, straight flush draw. Um... And they both check, which is how maniac and loose aggressive are these guys? That's bizarre. You take advantage of the hand you by raising, and then you don't do anything after the flop. Yeah, these are kind of hands that those players hit, and they tend to like to do the check raise and try to get sheep like us to make a bet and then jump on us, uh, which is the reason I'm going to check behind as well here too and see whether I can improve. But... Well, well, now you've just tainted the well. I'm here. I'm trying to make a decision what I'm going to do, and you've given me information that you would do. Um, no, I, I think I probably, I probably 
I probably do check behind, make it look like I miss. But I tell you what, I'm probably calling any reasonable bet, no matter what comes on the turn, because it. If I'm showing weakness and these are maniac, loose, aggressive players, they're going to come now and check and bet out now, no matter what happens. And I don't want them. I want them to think that I've missed, and I haven't missed. I actually have a pretty decent pair and a decent draw and a decent redraw if somehow a heart comes on the turn. So, I mean, I, if I do check here, I'm probably calling any reasonable bet, even if it's an overcard. Yeah. No, I think that's fair. All right. Well, I, I think I might check too. Just keep the pot control down too a little bit. All right. Well, we're three Z's. We all check. <laughs> and uh, is three Z's is that a new word? Maybe maybe I need Matt to find that for me. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, turn is the four of hearts. So board now is five of hearts, nine of spades, eight of spades, four of hearts, and once again it's checked to us. Yeah. So now there's a point where we bet, and then somebody comes alive. But I don't care. There's no way I'm I'm not getting rid of this hand. So I mean, I probably bet half the pot here. I got. I mean, I got a gut shot, straight flush draw. I got a flush draw. I got a straight draw, and I got still second pair. And these guys keep checking. I mean, aren't they looking for some sort of value for their hands if they've got something? I mean, how much they must have? The first guy, the maniac. I just, ugh, how much of a maniac is this guy? He must think the other guy's a maniac, and he's waiting for him to finally pull the trigger, and he doesn't. Hey, that is the great thing about being in hand with two players that play that kind of style is they're both scared of each other and and less scared of us. So. Yeah. I, I I gotta make some sort of bet here now. Yeah, I think so. half the pot. Yeah, I don't know what the pot is, but our hero bets fifteen hundred, which seems all right to me. Let's see, we had what we both, we all had eight hundred. Yeah, there was twenty four, and then the twenty six, and then the two. So it was about a little less than three thousand. So yeah, about half yeah, pot, and a little pot. more. Yeah. Well, yep. Um, and the maniac re-raises <laughs> the three thousand. Big blind folds, and it's back to us. So he min raises us. Yep. So that if we call this, we'll still have about three thousand left, which is still more than ten big blinds. If we miss, it's a lot. I'm getting. I'm getting. I think I'm getting the right odds to call here, because the amount of money that's in the pot, and that min raise, you know, I've just bet fifteen hundred. So if there was three, there's forty five, and now there's three more, seventy five. So fifteen. Into seventy-five. I mean, you're definitely getting the odds to call to hit your flush if he doesn't have a flush draw, and you can still hit a gutter or even two pair if he doesn't have a six, or even in a third eight. So you got a lot of cards. I think that could still win for you, even yeah. if he has somehow has six seven. You can still tie him and you can still beat him. So yeah. I'm going to call now, yeah. which is terrible because now we're into this hand for way more than I thought we needed to be with just second pair, but I think I'm going to yeah, call. I think it's interesting about this now is we really don't have to. I man, I'm going to get chewed out for this, but I don't think we really have to put our opponent on a hand here. We just have to know that we have so many different ways we can win and whatever combination if we're behind right now, whatever combination he has with some very rare um, examples, um, if we improve on the river, we can feel confident that we just caught up. Now, it may not be the right catch-up, but you know, we get an 8, we get a 7, we get a heart, we get our 6. Any of those cards, and I'm going to feel fine being knocked out of the tournament here. Yeah, my only fear is that he felt emboldened by a second heart, and he has a bigger hearts than us somehow. That's the Good. only fear I really have of hitting the heart. What I'm really pulling for here is like yeah, if he has a, a nine six in his hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I'm really hoping for like a six or another eight 
and hope he doesn't have a straight. But if I hit my heart, I'm going to have to go with it. There's only 3,000 left in my but stack. But that's what I'm saying. If he has a nine of hearts and some other random heart, right? So yeah. he's got his beat right now, and he's killed our hearts. We still have a seven, another eight, or a straight that's going to potentially beat that hand, right? Right. If that's if that's the only, if he doesn't have a nine, six. So, I mean, I don't know what card I'm looking for because he could be really all over this board. But I know I'm confident that if, a card comes that helps us that I'm I'm comfortable making the last call or whatever that I need to do for it. So yeah, that's my point, I guess. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Um, we make the call, and the river is the five of diamonds. So the final board is five of hearts, nine of spades, eight of spades, four of hearts, five of diamonds. Maniac thinks for a minute, looks at my remaining forty five hundred chips, and bets thirty five hundred. Hmm. Jeez, I had a lot of dead air there. Sorry, I'm just I'm trying to yeah. play the hand in my head. And it's a difficulty. <clears throat> we were just talking about a any card game of all these many cards that could have made our hand better. Then it's an easy decision. Uh, this isn't one, but it's an intriguing one. You know, it doesn't really change anything. Yeah. We already had us beat the five. Doesn't it doesn't help us and if we had him beat then the five shouldn't help him right well unless so, he had a five but yeah yeah if he had like yeah, if he yeah. had like ace five or something now he's beating us but <clears throat> it's interesting that he it, the amount he chose too it's almost like he's trying to make us worry you know it's like i mean that's a good bet but it's it's like it's a bet that he knows that we're going to either shove or fold and we're not going to call you know because you only have a thousand left so it's like he's trying to make you fold it feels like because if you wanted to get the value for the hand he would probably just bet like 1500 again or a thousand or something just to get value but to bet 35 it seems like he's saying yeah i'm trying to scare you because i want you to realize that you know you only have a thousand left if you call and i'm trying effectively putting you all in making you shove and that's what i want and it's not really what he wants because he's a maniac. <clears throat> I don't know. But he's got the repetition as a maniac, too. So you might, he might be on some other level here, you know? Yeah, yeah. I'm calling. You're going to call? All right. Yeah. Or I'm going to shove I I whatever. I should call. But. but the more I think about calling, I think back what we said before the hand. You know, we had to really hit this hard against these people. And we didn't hit it hard. We got middle pair on, on a paired board now, which is probably hard enough to beat part of this guy's range, but I, I I appreciate, and maybe I shouldn't appreciate because maybe, I think you're right, I think he's making a very deliberate bet here with 3500 <laughs> but I appreciate that he's giving us a lifeline that we're not going to be eliminated here. You know, I know most people are looking at this as a folder all in. I don't I don't think what, I don't think throwing the extra thousand and they're just going to change anything. If he's got his beat, he's going to call it. Yeah. If he doesn't have his beat, I, he's not going to fold here for that extra thousand, is he? I don't think. Unless he just has absolutely nothing. It feels like he has absolutely nothing. I mean, it feels like he was setting up this play well, even with that min race. Absolutely nothing. Then if we call, that we're still going to beat him, right? So right, no matter what. Yeah, you're not going to. But you're not going to get that thousand out of him, no matter yeah. what. Yeah. So I mean, he's got I, I don't see this as a shove now. I see this as a call or fold, and so I'm intrigued at this point, and maybe that's exactly what he wants. So um, I think I would call now, but I think I'm going to regret it. <laughs> well, you might. I mean, I. 
I don't know. I, I I'm not going to waste that last thousand. I think that last thousand was a complete waste. Yeah, because you can still get it all in and then double up and have, you know, ten times a big blind. So well, even that, but I don't think the thousand helps this hand at all. Like you know, like no, I mean, it's, it's, there's no reason to just waste it in case he does have you beat. You could have a chance to survive after that. So you're right. I would just call too. <clears throat> so we're calling. Okay, we're calling. All right. Uh, here's my thoughts at the table. The villain hates playing big cards and loves to bet aggressively with small junky cards. The board is all over that range. I lose to any nine, five, and roughly half the eights in his hands. He could also have six, seven, and flop the straight. He's a completely crazy player, so the re-raise on the turn doesn't necessarily mean he has a big hand, or does it? He literally could make this play if he hit any piece of the board. I'm getting roughly three and a half to one odds, um, but it was for my tournament life. Not quite, but uh, I think about it for a few minutes and fold. Mm. He flips over four tray offsuit and drags the pot. Yeah, it felt like it. Just by the amount that he bet at the end there and, and just the way that he played it. So he checks the board twice. And then tries to hits the four and thinks it's good, thinks you're stealing, and does the min raise thing, yeah. which makes perfect sense now. Yeah, because like you were saying before that, just a couple minutes ago, you were saying how when you play cards like this against Manny, you actually want to hit it hard. We didn't hit it hard, but the reason why we're doing all this now is because of the information he gave us after the flop right. and after the turn. So the information, and then even on the river, the information he gave us didn't make sense. Why would you bet thirty five when I have forty five when you know? Likely, if I have you beat, I'm shoving. If I, I, I have you crushed, and so it seemed like it was a bet where he just designed to make you think about, oh, there's no way he's betting that without having me beat. And if he really had you beat, wouldn't he want to get the most out of you and bet like a thousand or twelve hundred or something? So to me, it felt like he was trying to scare you with that bet. Yeah, yeah. I would have called. Uh, all right, he's here. Hero says, uh, "Put me on tilt." Uh, needless to say, I ended up shoving four four about five hands later when the blinds went up to two hundred four hundred. Lost a pocket trace to the lag. Looking back on it, I ran some numbers on the hand and even giving him a fairly broad range of any nine, eight, five, or four, and all the combinations of six, seven. It seems that I had about thirty eight percent equity in the hand. That doesn't even count stone cold bluffs. In retrospect, given the odds and the maniac style of the player, I think I should have gotten it all in. Well, again, I all in. I'm not going to do, but um, it, obviously the call. Now that we know what happened, would have been the right play. And unless he means earlier, maybe get it all in on the turn when the guy check raises you, and you know you're still beating. Oh, him. that could be. Yeah. Maybe he means that. Other than that, yeah, I, I I agree with you on the let's save the thousand and even try to double through with it, and then whatever, double up. I mean, whatever, and then <clears throat> move on from there. But I I felt like the information this guy. Why would this guy, if he's a maniac, and the other guy's loose? How maniac and loose are they if they don't bet that flop when it hits exactly what everyone believes they play, you know, because he has a straight and he doesn't, I mean, that's that's so transparent. It just seemed like to me that this guy was afraid of the other guy because he didn't have it. The other guy's afraid of us because we're a rock. And then when we didn't bet, they're like, and they still didn't come alive. They really missed it. And then when the guy check raised you, it was just like, what? Come on. You know, you, you're you a maniac. You're supposed to bet here. And you didn't bet. So... He told you a story. You just needed to listen. Yeah, it just didn't add up. Yep. All right. All right. Very good. And good luck to Danny Negreanu. <laughs> I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Lowe. We'll see you at the tables. Anti Up is a production of AntiUpMagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at AntiUpMagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. 
If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network. <laughs>